Thanks for downloading this IMSA radio podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by visiting imsaradio.com or search for IMSA radio wherever they get their podcasts. Hi everybody, this is John Heindorf and this is one of our special programmes on IMSA Radio and the Radio Show Limited network of channels as we look back on the 2023 season of fantastic motor racing that we have covered across our three channels. Now IMSA Radio is RS2 as you know and that is dedicated uh, to the IMSA product and their top line championship is the IMSA Sports Car Championship WeatherTech Sports Car Championship uh, in terms of sponsorship and joining me for this is Shay Adam part of our Pit Lane and Booth commentary team hello Shay hello hello <laughs> very good excellent um let's just start with a bit of housekeeping we'll go through the five classes and it is still five classes in IMSA for 2023 we'll talk about the changes later um, but let's do a little bit of housekeeping um, the five classes for the first time ever GTP uh, LMP2 LMP3 for the final time and GTD Pro and GTD were the two uh, split GTD classes although uh, GT classes although of course the cars were Identical. Now, we retired the DPIs at the end of 2022, and they'd been fantastic. Let's be honest, five, well, six seasons, actually. Um, And they had absolutely done their job. And without GTP, both John Doonan and his predecessor as president of IMSA, Scott Atherton, had said without the success of DPI, there would be no GTP. And I think that's a fair point. Um, Four four chassis to choose from uh, in terms of the LMDH. And that was the IMSA side of the regulation shit. And effectively, IMSA were already planning for this before COVID um, and before everything else. In some ways, this is just eventually it's DPI 2.0. It is. And to be honest, the the biggest surprise to me was the variety of success that we saw in the top class, because when DPI came into play, remember back in 2017, the same team, let alone manufacturer, Mm. won the first five races of the season. So it was a clean sweep for GM when they marched in. That was definitely not the case this time. And we did get a very different style of racing this time as well because of having so many classes that really mixed things up. Couple of other things. GTP regulated by balance of performance, of course, keeps everybody close together, and and that we'll come to that when we talk about GTPs. That was pretty impressive. Um, originally, share we thought we weren't going to get the Sprint Cup because yeah. that was. I, I didn't dream this, did I? I I thought that was going away, and then um, about. Oh, was it August or September? Um, that the IMSA said no. 
we're going to continue with the Sprint Cup because we thought it was going away, didn't we? Yeah, we did. And uh, it was actually kind of funny because uh, at the end of last year, there was a response that the Sprint Cup was going away. Um, Ryan Sellers and Madison Snow were going, great, we're going to be the last Sprint Cup champions. This is cool. Uh, but rinse and repeat, they did it again for 2023. Spoiler alert, by the way. Um, but it's kind of funny that, that that championship wound up coming back from the dead. And it revitalized what was a, a already great principle. But it made it so that we didn't just have 10 championships to play for this year, but 11. Mm. It, it was a really interesting little carrot to dangle. And we only had, I think, the one team doing just the sprint championship, being the number 97 Turner Motorsport BMW. And they ran the pro class for the endurance races. So they were there the whole year, too. But it didn't entice anybody to just come in for the short races. And there were there was one major change in what... in from. 2022 to 2023, there were no sprint-only um, uh, sprint uh, rounds uh, for the championship. And, and if you remember, yes. we had only six cars at Detroit in, in 2022. Uh, so, Mosport. Uh, Mosport, excuse me. Yes, yep. at the Chevrolet Grand Prix. Correct. Um, so that did change just a little bit but basically the season looked pretty similar to what we've seen before starting at uh, the Rolex 24 Daytona we had qualifying at the Raw moving on through uh, Sebring Long Beach uh, Monterey not all classes in each of them uh, Long Beach was the first split class um, mm. and then we had Monterey uh, which didn't have GT3 if I remember rightly everybody was at the Glen it was GTP, P3, GTD, Pro and GTD, so no P2s at Mossport. Um, Lime Rock Park with GTD, Pro and GTD only. One of two GTD only uh, this year. Uh, I, everybody was at Road America, VIR, another GTD only weekend. The Battle on the Bricks, that was the new edition. Two hours and 40 minutes for WeatherTech, although a longer race for Michelin Pilot Challenge at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That will become a six-hour race in 2024. And then, of course, finishing off with everybody together at Mutual Petit Le Mans at, a, at Michelin Raceway Road, Atlanta. So a fairly consistent season as far as it looked. Um, we'll split this up, I think, by class, if you don't mind, Shea. Does that make sense to yeah. you? Yep. Um, let's start then with... Um, for, for no other reason than I've got this on the screen. And by the way, dear listener, it will not surprise uh, regular listeners to know at all that Shea has provided me with an immense amount of information, which <laughs> I'm not even sure I can take in and do uh, do the uh, do justice to in uh, in any way, shape, or form in this in this program. Let's start with GTT. And appropriately enough, as you said, spoiler alert, Paul Miller Racing BMW, Madison Snow, Brian Sellers, uh, Corey Lewis jumped in for the Enduros as well. And, man, what a season they had. Uh, crowned as champions uh, in sprint champs as well as the full championship. And the, I mean, goodness me... <laughs> Even our listeners on Midweek Motorsport recognise them as the best team 
of the year after your nomination. I mean, where do you even start with Paul Miller Racing and that BMW? Well, the fun fact that I went through, um, and this should surprise nobody that I'm this much of a nerd, I removed the number one from the championship. So I removed them from the season results, move everybody up in qualifying and racing. If you do that, the 27 Heart of Racing team that finished second in the championship, and we will get to them, they would have won the championship, but they didn't have anywhere close to enough points to beat PMR, even taking PMR out of it. So the number one crew accrued so many points that they couldn't be touched even if you were to give everyone the benefit of the points that they had earned it was dominant they wrapped up sprint a race early they wrapped up the season-long championship a race early first time that's ever been done five wins on the season sebring which was the miracle win that was the 40 lap stint on a single tank of fuel from madison snow long beach was brian uh, nailing the exit of the pit stop coming out just in front of roman DeAngelis, holding him off being able to maintain that ctmp was a full team effort as was road america and vir just incredible races but their season really was defined by Watkins Glen because early on in the race, they came into the pits with an issue within the steering wheel. They lost three laps and they clawed that race back by just picking people off left, right, and center. Brian Stint in the middle when he went from, I think it was 16th to 4th, that's what really showed the grit and determination of this team. They not only got the most trophies this year, John, Madison got the most polls. He was the only repeat pole sitter in the entire class. They earned more points than anyone else in qualifying. They had, obviously, the best average starting class position, at second best starting class position overall. And if you take all of their finishes into account... They finished on average 4.9. That's good enough to win a championship. Interestingly, though, uh, and this uh, to me is interesting, two points here, and I I know this because you've done the statistics, so dear listener, don't think that I've crunched these numbers. This is all down (laughs) to Miss Shea. Um, Madison was not the best silver driver of the year, and neither... Did that team get a fastest lap all year? Which, that was the start that really surprised me. Yeah, and they were outperformed by Turner Motorsport with their two BMWs on only, uh, on eight occasions. Mm. They finished better than Turner every single race except for three, but they were only faster than either one of the Turner BMWs in four four races so yeah the and we will get to Roman we will give him the the accolades that here very very much deserves but the 2022 GTD champion was faster more consistently than snow but as we just pointed out the speed was not in the BMW they won the races not being the fastest car on the track which to me is an even more impressive feat the the, uh, I, I I just think the teamwork. We talk about we talk about motor racing um, uh, being a team game and a team sport, and we're not just talking about the two or the three or the four drivers that's in the car. We're talking about the complete package. Let's not forget, dear listener, that in terms of that new car, which was a new car last year. Paul Miller Racing got on top of it very quickly. They got the first 
IMSA victory uh, for that car. They got their heads around it very quickly indeed. And they've built on that share this year. Okay, Daytona 8th, Long Beach. uh, No, not Long Beach. um, Laguna Seca. Laguna was a 10th. And Lime Rock was an 8th. And Atlanta Mm. was an 18th. But by then... DNF, yeah. Yeah, that was a DNF. That hard work was done by then. The rest of the time... They were on the podium with those yeah. five victories, a second and a third. And, all right, just missed out in the um, driver's part of the Michelin Endurance. Um, so the team will talk about next. But, my goodness, mate, what a team effort. And that's what you've got to salute, really, isn't it? It is. And the it starts at the top. It's Paul Miller Racing and... Everything that has been built as far as this team is concerned, credit to Paul and Andy Miller. And Andy doesn't get enough credit for all that she does behind the scenes to to make this team work. But the people that they have put into the positions, the trust that they have given everybody, the financial uh, security in, look, we don't care if we need to put new parts on the car if it's going to cost more. Is it going to help in the long run? And that's why with this team moving up to GTD Pro, most of the competitors in GTD are not equipped, uh, whether it's financially or, quite frankly, mentally, to go up against the big factory teams. I think Paul Miller Racing is. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. And they step up, of course, as she uh, is alluding to that, into the pro ranks next year. Um, Let's talk about the guys they beat into second position, um, which was, look, it was not at all a a bad year for Heart of Racing. Uh, Roman DeAngelis, Mark Sorensen with Ian James for the Enduros. Um, And, I mean, great, great run uh, for those guys uh, as they went through the year. And a great story. Um, for Roman D'Angelis, Marcus Orens and the rest of the team. Uh, they they came in second uh, in the main championship, but they did win the Endurance Cup. No, the oh, no, 32. No, Team no, Cawthorf won the Endurance. Cawthorf, yes. So the, yes. So, yes. So second in two, two of the championships. Oh, that is a bit, yeah. that is a bit annoying for them. It's a great story because they don't just race... They raise money for a great cause. More than $12 million has been put through to uh, children's cardiac uh, um, hospitals, particularly in the Seattle area. Um, they, t- they, they took on a lot this year because aside from what they were doing in IMSA, they took over Paul Dallalana's entry in the World Endurance Championship and they went to Le Mans. And they're going to be doing that again next year whilst they're developing the Valkyrie as a, a GTP LMH car as well. It was just a couple of results away from being a really good season for them. One at Daytona, of course. They got the win at Daytona. They were the only team other than Paul Miller Racing to get multiple victories because mm. they've backed it up with both class wins at Lime Rock. Yes, that's right. Uh, the second place at Long Beach. That It was so close. Um, heartbreak at Sebring when it looked like they were on for a really good finish and then got nerfed off the track by a battling Lamborghini and Corvette, I think it was at the time. But 
The thing that surprises me the most about this team, the defending GTD champions, they only had six finishes within the top five. Their speed was ridiculous this year. I mean, I mentioned it before. Roman DeAngelis was not only the fastest silver, he was among the fastest drivers in GTD this year as far as being consistently on pace. His time off pace was about three-tenths closer to pace then Marco Sorensen, the only platinum driver in GTD this year for the entire season. Marco was outperformed by Roman DeAngelis. I just yeah. wanted to put that out there, yeah. put it on the record. On average, Roman was one position more consistent than Ro- than Marco was. Wow. So as far as their speed Marco was didn't, concerned, Let's be honest, Marco didn't do a bad job. No, 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 he didn't at all. But Roman was that good. Yeah. This car accounted for three poles, so as many as Snow got, but it was one pole per driver. Sorensen got the pole at Long Beach. Ian got the pole uh, in the drying conditions by putting on the slick tires for qualifying. Genius. That was genius. And then Roman got the home pole at CTMP. So their average qualifying was 4.5, which was the best of the class. Uh, 7.8 overall, keep in mind, is really, really good when you're Mm. considering the five pro cars ahead of them. They earned just shy of what Paul Miller did as far as points were concerned. But Roman's performance in the races and the fact that Heart of Racing gave him so many opportunities to to run two stints Mm. really showed his pace compared to everybody else. Uh, So that's two different manufacturers as well, by the way, that we've been talking about because, of course... The BMW won second place for Aston Martin. Let's talk about a third different manufacturer, third in the GTD Drivers' Championship for Aaron Tealitz and Frankie Montecalvo. Um, they uh, were in the Lexus, took a victory at Watkins mm. Glen in the long race and really only, again, you are talking about fine margins um, where they didn't finish in the top 10. In fact, the top six. Um, Parker Thompson jumped in for the Enduros. Mm. Uh, really, I, I, you know, those guys, they were so close. Fifth, fifth, third, 14th. There's, there's your bad finish, non-finish. Mm-hmm. A first, a sixth, a twelfth, a fifth, a fifth, a fourteenth, a sixteenth, not, non-finish at the the end of the season. Um Will they be slightly disappointed, do you think? Third in the championship is the best result for Frankie Montecalvo since the PC days wow. back in 2011. But 555 points off the championship, that's where things start to sting a little bit. Mm-hmm. They outperformed almost all of their rivals, except for PMR and the Heart of Racing. The win at Watkins was huge. Again, that was a double win. Um, so that was both classes. In qualifying, they were very strong. Tealitz and Montecalvo both qualified second on multiple occasions. Tealitz qualified five times, Frankie six times. They earned the third most points from qualifying with the second best average starting position. But the races, you just nailed it, John. Their average finish of 7.8. They lost 35 positions in class. That really, really hurt them over the course of the season. Um, Aaron was almost always faster than Frankie. Uh, Parker was the quickest driver at Sebring out of the the trio. 
he will be someone to watch for this upcoming season because he is in the car full season with Frankie Montecalvo for 2024. That is a big change. Aaron stepping back into the endurance role. Um, But there was not the pace out of the GTD car that we saw out of the GTD Pro car. So the speed this year was not necessarily with the Lexus. And while the Pro car was able to translate it to consistent finishes, the GTD car was not able to have the same sort of luck. Let's move to fourth in the overall championships. And we'll we'll mention the uh, the interim championships as well with the the Sprint Cup and the um, Endurance Michelin Endurance Cup as well. As we go through, um, Robbie Foley, Patrick Gallagher in fourth in the overall situation in the ninety six turn of BMW. Michael Dynan jumped in for them. Uh, didn't have a race victory this season, no. which um, I think that will disappoint them. Uh, three second places across the year and a mixture of results around that that saw them slightly too many times and, and it was four times outside the top ten. For Patrick and Robbie, and and Bill and Chandler. I'm going to put Mm. all of the Turner uh, cars into this equation because four podiums on the year between those two cars was one fewer win than Paul Miller got in their BMW. Yeah, It was a difficult year for Turner. Um, Fourth in the championship for Robbie and Patrick is not at all where I thought they would be. All right, they were three points off of the Lexus, so they were oh so close to getting into that top three of the championship but as far as qualifying was concerned Gallagher's best effort was third they didn't earn a lot of points in qualifying they were right in the middle as far as uh, points earned where they qualified on average as far as the class and overall they lost five positions in class over the course of the year but they gained five overall their average finish was 7.7. Robbie was faster than Patrick in the races. He did earn a fast lap, the only one for BMW, which came at VIR. And Robbie was the fastest BMW driver three times across the year, but he was among the slowest of the gold drivers in the category as far as class position and time off pace. Um, He was behind... Sellers, Oberlin, Snow for time off pace. Gallagher, on the other hand, was really struggling compared to the other Silvers. He and Chandler Hull were among the bottom. And that was a big surprise to me because I thought that both of those drivers would be able to work together more, especially with the success we saw out of the other BMW. Mm -hmm. I fully expected to see Turner winning races again. They won at Mid-Ohio last year, let's not forget. So they know how to do it, but it was just... It was a a what-could-have-been year from Turner. Next year will be the same driver lineup as far as um, Patrick and Robbie are concerned, but without the sister car. So how is that going to affect them? And then being the only BMW running in GTD next year, Uh, again, how does that help or hinder them? That's a very good point. Uh, We'll move to fifth in the overall championship, uh, and this goes to another team that won a race, and this is Forte Racing by US Racetronic. Misha Goikberg, Loris Spinelli uh, for the full season. They won at Atlanta at the end of the season. They did, and they got the second at Indy. There was a great battle 
at the oh, end of the yeah, race yeah, between yeah. Laura Spinelli and Phil Ellis for yes, that win. Yes. Um, Spinelli got a fantastic pull at Watkins Glen. Again, mixed conditions. But Misha held his own, too. I mean, he qualified third at Lime Rock. They were there or thereabouts as far as qualifying was concerned on the year. But for their positions gained versus lost, that's where it really hurt them. They lost 16 places in class, 13 overall. Those were among the worst that we saw over the course of the year. Um, but Loris was only outperformed once all year, and that was Misha at his home track at CTMP. Loris really, he started to strive this year. And this was a new team, let's not forget. They, they've been in the paddock for a while, has USRT. But stepping up to GTD, getting the first win, getting the only win for Lamborghini this year, um, they really took the attention back because at the beginning of the year, all the focus was, um, and this is how my pit reporter brain works, it was all the way down at the pit exit end of things with Iron Links. Yeah. And there are three cars and having Roman Grosjean in one of the cars and all of that excitement. Um, but the the funny thing is, by the end of it, Forte has now proven going into Daytona that they're the ones that Lamborghini needs to back, not any of the other teams. It's a fair point. Well, made. you're listening to our review of uh, the... WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, Cher Adam and John Hindorf with you here. Um, let's move to Inception Racing, who are the next up. Sixth on the overall season. A couple of non-finishes during the year, but actually not bad outside of that. Only two other finishes outside the top ten. Uh, three podia across the year as well, plus a fourth, a fifth, and a sixth, and a seventh, actually. So they had all, yeah. all, all the good numbers uh, low down. Um, Ollie Milroy joined Frederick Shandoff and Brendan Arib, um, uh for the Enduros. Um, second at Road America and CTMP, highlights of the season for them in the middle of the year. For sure. And the third at Daytona to kick the year off, too. Um, the two DNFs, definitely things that they wish didn't happen and that they could pretend never happened. Um, but Brendan Arib, hands down, the best bronze driver in yeah. IMSA. He was, on average, half a second faster than the next bronze driver in class. And wow. he was so good, actually, that he was ahead of both of the Turner AMs that we just talked about, both of those silver drivers, in time off pace and average position. And he was closer to Misha Goikberg as another silver than he was any other bronze. So uh, Brendan Arib really, really getting to grips. Uh, a lot of the time this year, going to tracks with IMSA for the first time, that's a big change, too, for him to try and adapt to. Um I'm still floored that this team has not won a race because <laughs> everything feels like it is pushing for them to win races. Um, Daytona, I think, will be a very, very good bet for them uh, because Arib has done so well there in the past. Um, but they they do tend to really stretch their legs in the endurance races. But like you said, their two best finishes came in two of the shorter races. So yeah. who knows? They they could wind up being legit championship contenders with an actual bronze driver. No sneaky silver here. No, that's a very, and again, you know, that's that's fair. That's very fair. And we, and we wish them the best uh, for that. Uh, let's head down to seventh in the overall. But this is the only team other than... Paul Miller Racing to win one of the championships this year. <laughs> uh, and this is uh, Mikael Grenier uh, and Mike Skeen. 
uh, there for Courtoff in the number 32 uh, machine. Uh, they had Kent and uh, Cook with them for the Enduros, and they are the Michelin Endurance Championship. Uh, they did do the full season, though, didn't they? Yes, they did. They did. Um, just not enough top five finishes, really. They had one, two, uh, two thirds, and a fourth, and yeah. that's it in terms yeah. of top five finishes on the year. But in the races that counted for the long distance championship, the Endurance Cup. They were consistent. Well, and they had seven finishes of ninth or worse over the course of the wow. season. So they didn't have the um, the luck to put it all together as far as this year is concerned. But the endurance races, they were up front when the points were given out. And that is how you win the Endurance Cup. Mm. Kenton Cook, by the way, absolute star of this team this year. Three quarters of the races that he participated in. So Daytona, Sebring, Watkins, and Petit. He was the fastest driver in the car. The only time he wasn't was at Sebring when he was barely off the fast lap, which was set by Mick Grenier, his teammate. Mick was the fastest guy in the car six times. Obviously, three of those were not when Kenton was uh, in the car. So it was a very impressive display from uh, Kenton when, when he was in the car. He made an impression. He made it count. Um, they didn't have very good performance as far as qualifying to race goes. They were the second worst for class position and overall position lost at 34 and 35 respectively. And their average finish of almost ninth, that's what really hurt them. But they've now won a championship. They know they can do it. The question is, do they shift their focus for this coming season away from being at the front at the 6, 12, and 18-hour mark and instead... At the twenty-four hour mark. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that, that's it's a it's it's a fair it's a fair point that you make there. Um, I want to pick off um, another couple of teams who won races this year, yeah. um, and obviously Wimwood, um, yes. the fifty-seven car, uh, Russell Ward, Phil Ellis for most of the races, and Indy Donchi for the Enduros. It was a tale of war for them for, I was going to say the first half of the season, the first two thirds of the season. It was a tale of what might have been because quite clearly, you know, I I thought Russell is is driving as well as I've seen him. He's certainly been very quick, um, ably backed up by Phil Ellis and Indy Donchi. But it took them till the penultimate race of the season to get their first win. In fact, the first time they were on the podium, was was uh, not till VIR three races from the end of the year, and that really stymied their season, along with too many non-finishers. There, yes, the five DNFs definitely took them out of any kind of uh, competitive running. But their season was sort of foreshadowed at Daytona. Mm-hmm. They got the pole filled it in the qualifying at the Roar, and then. In practice, Lucas Auer had such a big accident, it took him out of racing for a while. And um, I think he's almost fully recovered, isn't he, now Mm. at this point? Um, But it meant that they had to then start from the back of the class. They lost their pole, they had to change their chassis. That really changed everything as far as the season was concerned. They still earned 232 points from qualifying, which there were six cars worse than that. So you consider that they started at the back of Daytona, which is the worst possible qualifying points you can get. 
Ellis qualified three times on the season. Russell with eight. Um, their best was only a fifth for a starting position. So Russell's a guy who won the pole award last year. He's a guy who knows how to qualify well. That kind of was missing this year too. But Russell's average race pace was only about a second off Phil Ellis. And Phil, he missed a race. So his average was based on fewer races than Good anyone point. else. Yeah. He had the best performance in terms of average time off pace of any driver in GTD. And he was the fastest guy in the car eight times. He only ran 10 races. Yeah. They, as an outfit, had a trying season, let's yes. say, um, over in Mission and Pilot Challenge, uh, which is another one of our reviews that you can uh, listen to. We document all of that as well. Um the other team, the only other team to win a race this season, by my reckoning, was mm. a brand new team to this part of IMSA's championship. Uh, and that was Kelly Moss with Riley. Of uh, Alan Metney, Kai van Berlo, um, Jackson Evans jumped in for the Enduros, but they, they won at one of the, the standard lengths. It was Laguna Seca, wasn't it, that, that they run. They didn't yes. do uh, Petit Le Mans. Uh, still finished 13 in the championship. Now, generally speaking, they finished, uh, but down towards the bottom end of the top 10 or or outside the top 10. But crucially, did get that race victory in their first season. How do you think Kelly Moss, uh, Victoria, Andy, uh, and the rest of the team, as well as the drivers, Kai van Berlo, Alan Metney, and Jackson Evans, how do you think they'll look back at the season? They will be over the moon still with that win at uh, WeatherTech Race by Laguna Seca, but that was their only top six finish. Mm. They were outside of the top 10 five times. Their average finish was 10.4, and they were only uh, once, just the win, the best finishing Porsche, but three times they were the fastest Porsche. Kai was the third best silver on the year as far as pace was concerned. Metney was kind of in the middle of both bronzes, but they outperformed consistently the sister car, Alec Udell, David Bruley, who was in the car for eight races. Uh, Julian Anlauer ran for six races. Alec was the guy who was in the car most of the time. Um, this car with three podiums on the year, but five finishes outside of the top 10 and two DNFs. The the sister car got the pole. The 92 got the pole with Liddell, uh, Udell at um, Laguna Seca. But their performance in this car was a very different tale than the 91. Udell was the fastest car, the fastest driver in the car when Ann Lauer wasn't in it. Mm -hmm. But when Ann Lauer was in it, it wasn't even close. Um, it, Kelly Moss has to be happy with the growth that they showed in this season in the um, way that they burst onto the scene with the win at Laguna, the pole and the win at Laguna, mm -hmm. the podium at Sebring, double podium for both of the cars at Laguna. But it all went downhill from there. Um, they're going to need more consistency going into yeah. this upcoming season. And they had initially planned to run a car in GTD Pro. Those plans have since changed. They will now be doing two cars in GTD again. But the door, the window of opportunity is there. Mm -hmm. When they had 
a factory guy in the car with the silver, they did better than when they had yeah. bronze drivers in the car with the silver or bronze with the gold. So they know what it would take to be championship contenders. That's not where they're aiming right now. Um, we don't have time to talk about every single entry, but um, I'll let you have a, a, an honourable mention or two. One that I want to pick up on is Gradient Racing. Um, yes. Uh, Sheena Monk, Catherine Legg, and uh, the irrepressible Mark Miller for the Enduros. Um, full season uh, for them, and not the season they would have wanted. It was the only full season Acura. Um, so they were working on their own for a lot. And they 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 just, the car didn't seem to have the pace for a, a lot of the races. However, the positive I want to pull out of this is um, Catherine Legg, as always, making herself available to talk to us and being very honest about what was going on when it was good, bad or indifferent. And it was sometimes all of those things in a single session. Um <laughs> However, Sheena Monk, now, she stepped up this year, and by her own admission, it was a big step up, but she, in terms of her times on on track and uh, her finishing position, was actually at the sharp end of bronze drivers. She was the second best bronze to Arib as far as position off pace and the third best uh, only to PJ Hyatt. And again, PJ didn't do every race. So his average Mm -hmm. was based on a a different computation uh, than the other bronzes. But Sheena really, she grew into it and she stopped being intimidated by the car. Um, It was, the speed was not with Acura. The speed was definitely not with the gradient Acura either because when there was another Acura on the racetrack, the other Acura was faster than them four out of the six times. So it, it wasn't there for Gradient this year, but they definitely did a good job with what they had. And they look very strong for this upcoming season based on the competition, but also based on the fact that that, um, that, that scrubbing off the new car smell, that's not really a factor for them anymore. Yeah, good point. A uh, couple of other... Um Honourable mentions that I know you want to pick up on. Let's go to Magnus, who had a podium in the Daytona 24. Yeah, Magnus uh, with a very strong effort uh, with only a couple of uh, starts on the year. Uh, Also, big shout out to Wright Motorsport because the 16, which is a car that we've had in the series for a long time, they only did the endurance races this year. They did get on the podium at uh, Watkins Glen, but also the 77, which was the Alan Brynjolfsson and Trent Hinman car. They got two podiums on the year. Those were their only top five finishes, Um, but they were the best finishing Porsche in four of the races, which is more than any other car. And once again, Wright Motorsport gained the most positions because they had the worst qualifying as far as everyone else is concerned, but they gained 65 class positions and 84 overall over the course of the year. So they really did uh, hit out of their league. Uh, as far as the teams are concerned, as we've mentioned, Paul Miller Racing won the overall and the Sprint Cup. It was Team Cortoff, uh, Cortoff Preston, as it was by the end of the season, that took the Michelin Endurance Challenge, manufacturer-wise in GTD. Now, this was spread around just a little bit. BMW won uh, 
uh, the overall and the Sprint Cup. Uh, and we had Mercedes AMG in the Michelin Endurance Cup. Uh, and that was a bit different when we get to the GTD Pros. Now, remember, the GTD Pros did not have the Sprint Cup uh, to uh, to talk about. So let's move on to GTD Pro uh, now. Let me pull uh, that document. Uh, I pulled, yes, get the right document out. Okay. Um, uh, and let's talk about, uh, we, we'll do it as far as the, the drivers are concerned and, uh, as we did with uh, the GTDs. Uh, and we'll start then with our champions, uh, Ben Barnicott and Jack Hawksworth for Lexus. And they were joined by uh, Kyle Kirkwood, not for all of the longer races. He did Sebring, Petit Le Mans and Daytona from memory. Um, and they had, I mean, their start to the season was, whilst not dominant, it was pretty impressive. First half of the season. Three, third, second, first, second, first, fourth. And then a run of seconds and thirds. And in fact, their worst finish of the season was at, uh, Matul Patila Monshir, where they were eighth, mm. by then, as they'd started the race, they'd already won the championship. Correct. They needed to cross the start-finish line in order to secure minimum points for the race to then guarantee themselves the championship. So they had a little bit more work to do than Paul Miller did. Hmm. Um, but this team did get more podiums than anyone else in the category, which is impressive when you consider a little bit uh, later on some of the numbers that we had from podium finishes. Ben, I still apologize to him on a regular basis because I did not come over and interview him on the grid before CTMP, and that was their first non-podium finish, and he still (laughs) holds me responsible for that. Um, But as far as the season was concerned, four polls for Jack Hawksworth, most of the class, he got the poll award again. Their worst qualifying was fourth, a position they held twice. So they had the best average and overall, and overall qualifying position, Most points earned, they earned 350 points, which is the equivalent to a race win. They got that through qualifying this year, and Jack did every qualifying except Daytona. Now, qualifying obviously went really, really well, so the races could only go down from there. The DNF at Petite cost them heavily, um, but at CTMP, that also took away positions too. So they had the second worst of the category as far as starting to finishing positions, But their average finish was still 2.7, which was the best. And their average fast lap, this is the part that's interesting, was the second worst. So not only did they perform well, but they did it without going quickly. That's a theme that we have here in GTD because it's the same that we saw from uh, Paul Miller with their BMW. Mm -hmm. Pace-wise, there were 10 full-season drivers. Jack and Ben were sixth and seventh as far as time off pace, so time off the fastest lap, and seventh and eighth for the two drivers, respectively, for position, meaning they were not fast over the course of the year. Ben had a fast lap at Indy, but it was an even split for the two drivers over the rest of the year, five times faster for Jack, five times faster for Ben. Another complete team effort, though, Shea. That's that's what that says to me. Um, and you might say that as well for our second place uh, driver combination um, who uh, won the Michelin Endurance uh, side of the championship this year in GTD Pro, uh, which was Jules Guinan 
and Danny Hunkadea, along with Maro Engel. Again, he jumped in for three of the longer races, Daytona, Sebring, and Petit Le Mans. Michelin Endurance Championship, 112 points of the overall victors, but mm. actually took more wins across the season, what they <laughs> lacked. Whereas, you know, Ben and Jack were getting second places and third places. Unfortunately, Jules were getting uh, third, fourth, and a slew of fifth position, but they yeah. never finished outside the top five. In any, oh. other, any other year, you would have thought... That's a championship kind of finishing record. There were only four races where there were more than five cars. So that does skew that uh, top five finishing. But they they didn't DNF a race, but they did finish last in the category in four races. That's a good point. So that is what really took them out of championship contention because the wins at Daytona, uh, Laguna Seca, which honestly they said, and they were completely right, fell into their laps. That was a uh, misunderstanding of the rule book from Heart of Racing and Corvette. Um, both of those teams falling afoul of the safety car and choosing to take a uh, pass round when they were not applicable. Um, Indy, which was a good race win for them, and uh, Motul Petit Le Mans, another good one. The two third-place finishes at Sebring and CTMP, but there were a lot of times that were missed opportunities for this team this year. Five times qualifying for Jules, five times qualifying for Danny, pole for Morrow at Daytona. They qualified second four times, so it was a very even split, but they didn't do anything extraordinary as far as starting or finishing positions were. They didn't gain that many positions. They Their average finish was 3.1, which, again, when you're in a class of five cars, that's smack yeah. dab in the middle. Yeah. But they had... Jules, and he had, I mean, listeners of Midweek Motorsport will know, I nominated him as my driver of the year because he just had everything go his way this year. He was the second best driver as far as um, position in the entire category. He was the fourth best for time off pace, fastest lap of the race at Daytona, and he was the fastest in the car six times this year. Um, Mauro Engel had the fastest lap in the car at Sebring, the fastest lap of the category as well. And Danny, he was just ahead of both of the Porsche drivers, both of the FAF drivers in time off pace. But he was ahead of FAF and Lexus for position. So he was smack dab in the middle, whereas Jules was at the pointy end of things. Uh, so uh, Lexus... Uh, ahead of those two and then a third different manufacturer in third position with the full season pairing of Antonio Garcia and Jordan Taylor for Corvette Racing, uh, the WeatherTech AMG as we said in second there. Tommy Milner joined them for three of the four long distance races. Uh, They got a couple of race wins on the season at CTMP and at VIR. Their worst finish was at the end of the season at Road Atlanta, but again, twice they finished at the the back of the field in, in fifth position in class year. Yeah, and they got the two wins, they got two seconds, they got two thirds. Hmm. Six podiums on the year for Corvette Racing, that's not good enough for, for that standard. Garcia got pole at Sebring. Uh, he qualified six times, Jordan Taylor qualified five times. They had the second worst average class position as far as qualifying was concerned, and yet 
the second best average overall qualifying position. So they didn't necessarily do well in class, but they always managed to beat out the GTD. Um, They didn't get a ton of points from qualifying as a result of that, but they only had three races where they lost positions instead of gaining them over the course of the race. So that also was interesting to me. Uh, One of them was when at Sebring they got pole position and did not win the race. So of course they were going to lose positions. Jordan, though, was super strong this year. He was the second strongest driver as far as time off pace is concerned. Mm. Fourth in position. Garcia was in the middle of both. Um, He did have the fastest lap at CTMP and was the fastest Corvette driver five times. Jordan was the fastest Corvette driver six times, but he did not have a fast lap all year. Uh, In fourth position, Porsche, Klaus Backler. Patrick Pelier, along with Lawrence Vanto, who joined them for the Daytona 24 and so the Rolex and Mobile 112 hours of Sebring, Motil Patilamont, Kevin Estra came back to Faf. Uh, a single victory on the year. Uh, podiums are plenty, uh, wow. other, other than that. And again, you know, their worst finish was at Daytona. Uh, and then again at Watkins Glen, but that mm-hmm. you know again that's fifth when there's not very many cars. There's either five cars or there's not very many more cars than five in that. And you look at that and think, well, actually, you know what? A win, uh, a second, three thirds, a f- couple of fourths. It's not a bad season. But when you're up against the quality and the consistency that we saw, and you're battling against a very strong GTD field share mm. where at the end of particularly the longer races, all the pros are in and, you know, we were calling it in commentary. Effectively, it's just a GTD race at that point. Nobody cares whether it's pro or not. Um, is that, I mean, they've, they've decided that they're moving away from Porsche. Um, all kinds of chat about BOP last year. Um, do you think that might have soured the experience for the likable FAF Motorsports? For sure. And and FAF is a team that's won how many championships over the course of the last five years in Porsches, mm. even going back to GT3 Cup days. Um, their win at Sebring, for sure, the highlight. They were there, thereabouts at CTMP. Uh, Klaus getting the two poles, the Laguna Seca and Indy, throwing it away by moving out of column at the start of Indy, oh, getting yes, a drive-through yes. penalty. Um, that really hurt them. They gained a ton of positions over the course of the races, which was strategy. They made no bones about the fact that the car was not what they expected pace-wise. So their average fast lap was the worst of any manufacturer for the entire season, well off the pace of what we saw from even the championship-winning Lexus. Let's be honest about this. Um, Klaus and Patrick were the bottom of the GTD Pro drivers for the full season on pace. And that can be a reflection of the speed of the car, the BOP, whatever you want to put it at. But Patrick did get two fast laps this year and Klaus got the two poles. So, yeah, there was some speed that was lacking maybe at the beginning of the year, but you definitely can't use that as an excuse by the end of the season. Strategy still is what ultimately helped them get to the front. They're moving away, as you said, from Porsche to McLaren for the 2024 season. Different driver pairing, um, very different look coming for FAF as well. And I'm really looking forward to see if they can get back to those championship winning ways. Uh, Five cars for the full season in the category and all five of them 
took at least one win in fifth position. Uh, a tale of two halves of the season for Heart of Racing. Mm. Alex Riberas, Rock Gun, Ross Gun, excuse me. Rock. Rock, I like that. Rock Gun. He's, that's, he's going to be that forever. David Pittard <laughs> jumped in with them uh, for Daytona 24. Uh, the Motul 12 Hours of Sebring, excuse me, the uh, Mobile 12 Hours of Sebring and Motul Petit Le Mans. Um, first half of the season, not great. 7th, 8th, 4th, 5th, 6th, which meant they were pretty much last every time they finished. Uh, non-finish at Mossport. And then, my goodness, from then on, from Lime Rock onwards, if the championship had started at Lime Rock, they would have been our champions. <laughs> well, and the funny thing is, um, at CTMP, there was a big crash, Ross Gunn, at the end of the back straight um, with contact with the Mercedes. Make of it what you will, but a new chassis was brought into play from there on forward. Yeah, they got the point. two pole positions thereafter, Ross at Lime Rock, Alex at Road America. They got the wins at both of those races, the second at Indy. So when they changed cars, they did find a little bit of their magic back, but... Only three races this year, Watkins Glen, when they had a tire failure at the beginning of qualifying and therefore did not qualify, they started the back of the pack. Indy and Petit Le Mans were the only races where they actually made up positions from start to finish as opposed to losing them. They had the worst average finishing position of the class, but the best average fast lap. They were the fastest car on the racetrack in GTD Pro more consistently than anyone else. So the speed was not the problem for the Aston Martin. Ross was the strongest driver in 2023 as far as time off pace and average position, but Alex was third. These two drivers, if we talk about Ben Barnicket and Jack Hawksworth being the perfect pairing, Alex Roberis and Ross Gunn are right there yeah. or thereabouts, and they are a duo that will be a championship threat going forward. They were so quick when things went well, it's just that things didn't go well for them consistently enough. enough to make it to the podium. Yeah, good point. Good point. A couple of honourable mentions for, um, well, one particular uh, from uh, what uh, the, the stats show up. Uh, not a full season entry, sadly, for Risi Competizione. I, I said a number of times that, you know, I think everybody in the paddock, even people who have to compete against them, are, are very <laughs> happy to see... Giuseppe Ricci and his team in the paddock. Two podiums on the season and a, f- a fastest start for Daniel Serra at Watkins Glen. Yeah, and a very impressive performance too with the new 296 Ferrari, the GT3 machine. Uh, no other team managed to wrap their head around it over the course of the season who was running that, that car. Um, we had Chetelar, we had A, of course, and Ricci running in, in the GTD Pro category for most of the year. Ricci was the only Ferrari to make it to the podium this year. Mm-hmm. And they did it twice. Uh, Daniel Serra with the pole position and the fast lap at the Glen. And there were 20 drivers who made it to the podium in GTD Pro this year. It, it's very good to see that three of those were wearing the red for Risi. Are uh, listening to our review of the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship for 2023? Share Adam and John Hindorf with you. We'll move out of the GT ranks next as we head to the prototypes. So starting the prototypes uh, in this review will be LMP3, Le Mans prototype, last year in the overall championship. But of course, we will be uh, continuing to race them in the VP championship in 2020. 
24. Now, this one's a bit odd, uh, Sheer, in terms of the Drivers' Championship, because our first two drivers, in first and second in the overall championship, and we do have an Endurance Cup here as well, um, they effectively got their positions on their own. I mean, they didn't drive the cars on their own, but there was a um, a rotating set of um of of core drivers and i don't mean they were spinning around <laughs> while they were sitting in the car that would be ridiculous um but congratulations to gar robinson who uh, through the season drove with josh burden felipe fraga and dakota dickinson uh through the year won the overall and won the michelin endurance cup as well the big thing for gar this year was the win at the Sebring 12 hour. That was what he was missing as far as the endurance cup was concerned to claim that victory and then be able to say to his dad, Hey, I've won Sebring too. Because of course his dad, a great driver in his own right, had that victory and was holding it over Gar's head. Um, but no, he also got the win. The only LMP three winner at the Salem six hours of the Glen will be Gar Robinson three times over. He and Felipe Fraga doing uh, it with different yes, co-drivers also getting the win. At CTMP this year, Road America, second at Indy, third at Petit Le Mans. The only DNF was Daytona. Gar got the pole at CTMP. Um, his worst qualifying was at Indy when it was sort of mixed conditions and he had that crash. Earned right in the middle as far as points were concerned. So that didn't really affect his championship. And Gar was by far and away the best of the AM drivers this year. But the big change Felipe Fraga had been in the past clear and above the best gold driver or platinum driver, if there were any in the category. This year, Felipe was only third in both of the categories. And Josh Burton, who filled in for him a couple of times, was sixth. So this car never set a fast lap, but it got the ton of wins. And ultimately, that's what led to the championship. In second place, again, solo second position, uh, Garrett Grist, who drove through the season variously with uh, Bijoy Garg at PLM, uh, Nolan Siegel at Indy, Ari Berlog at CTMP, Road America and at Mobile One Twelve. Team. And to quote Dickinson, I put to quote Dickinson in the wrong car there, didn't I? But I know why I've done that, because he finished on the same points as Gar Robinson, Josh Burton and Felipe Fraga in the Michelin Endurance Cup. So he was from a different team but got the same point score. How did that work? Because uh, Gar Robinson, Felipe Fraga and Josh Burton scored minimum points at Daytona (sighs) in the Michelin Endurance Cup by going out of the race within the first three hours. So um, that ultimately affected their ability to try and reclaim that championship once again. But worry not. They managed to get it done in the end. A little bit more work. But Garrett Grist, what a season he had. He was the best LMP3 driver this year. Strongest in time off pace and average position. Fast laps at Sebring, CTMP, and at Motul Petit Le Mans. Never outside of the top three drivers in the category for time off pace. Mm. Garrett Grist deserved to be a legit championship contender this year. And he was, and finishing off the season super strong with that win at Petit, that that was the icing on the cake, the second win at Petit for Garrett Grist. But he proved this year that if you want a very strong uh, prototype driver, you just give Garrett a call. He'll be there. Uh, Good point. Uh, Third in the overall championship standings and 
uh, third, actually, in the Michelin Endurance Cup as well. Matt Bell, that's British Matt Bell, and Ori Fadani, very much Canadian uh, Ori Fadani. Lars Kern, the Nürburgring road car specialist, actually, um, for Porsche, uh, in for the Enduros. Uh, no race victories for them this year, but uh, top five finishes throughout the whole season and uh, three podia as well. And no DNFs. Mm. Yeah, this was a good learning year. Um, Ori Fidani's qualifying, you could watch it improve over the course of the season. His best effort was second at his home track, literally his home track. His mm. name is uh, practically on the welcome mat there at CTMP. Um, second best as far as points earned in qualifying this year, too. So they had a really good season for growth. Uh, the team moving away from prototype racing and into Corvette racing for the upcoming season, keeping their driver lineup of Matt Bell and Ori. They've worked well together for a couple of years now. But the sister car, the 17, they finished fourth in the championships. Anthony Mantella and Wayne Boyd, the full season drivers, Nico Verone coming in as the full-time driver in 2024 with the Corvette connection. They got the win at Daytona to kick off the season. Not a championship points-paying race, should be said. But then they got the win at Indy, too. So they were super competitive. Two third-place finishes on the air, but a DNF at Petit, that's ultimately what allowed the 13 to finish ahead of the 17 as far as the season-long championship was concerned. They gained 16 positions on the year, John, and they only lost spots in one race, that being Petit. Uh, their team car and uh, driver pairing is next up. That's Anthony Mantella and Wayne Boyd with Nico Varon uh, for the Enduro. So the two AWA cars finishing in uh, what is effectively third and fourth in the championship and separated by barely anything at all. Actually, Wayne, Anthony and Nico did slightly better in the Endurance Cup by literally a couple of points and sneaked second place from their teammates. Yeah, and I should also say, too, uh, just to give them a little bit more credit, Nico deserves to be a full-season WeatherTech driver because he was the best driver in LMP3 for time off pace, second for position, and he set the second fastest lap at Daytona, the fourth fastest lap in the other three races that he participated in. So very, very good consistency. Uh, Mantello was among the weakest of the bronze drivers that we saw, but he's also a guy who put his hand up straight away and said, hey, credit goes to my amazing co-drivers for being able to get these wins. Anthony did his part too. You do minimum time, you keep the car clean, and you hand it over. There's a lot to be said for that, and I look forward to seeing what AWA does with the two Corvettes. Uh, next up uh, in terms of full no in fact actually that we've we've only got single drivers next haven't we yeah so um we don't know what everybody's going to do for next year awa we know are uh, are not going to be continuing with the p3 car they've moved up into the the, uh, gt3 uh, ranks GT Daytona ranks, but I suspect we'll see some, if not all, uh, of the other teams still competing uh, across the year. Um, 26 drivers got a trophy. Um, performance Tech, we haven't mentioned those guys. Five races uh, across the season with a podium at Daytona. JDC Miller, best qualifying of a second at Sebring and, and finished third. Um, 
not full seasons for quite a lot of the teams, though, she. I think that's what no. really defined the season. Well, and, and shout out also, uh, Sean Creech Motorsport. They ran um, most of the races. They missed out on Petit Le Mans second at Daytona and Road America. Both of those races were pole positions for Nico Pino. Um, they... <laughs> They were outside of the top five in half of the races. That's not a great statistic when you don't have that many cars. Um, but they did give opportunities to certain drivers to shine. Pino, I've mentioned, Nolan Siegel was in the car at Daytona. He got the fastest lap of that race. Um, another car that we only had for a partial season was Andretti, and they had a torrid time. Three DNFs out of their four races. Their only finish was at fourth at Watkins Glen, but they also were trying to run uh, the Aston Martin in the GTD ranks to try and get ready for the upcoming season. But out of their performances, Van Berlo, Glenn Van Berlo, younger brother of Kai, got two poles out of the three qualifying sessions in which they took part. So they also had a strong but brief appearance in the championship this year. Shea Adam talking about LMP3. Let's quickly run into LMP2. I'm already excited about LMP2 in 2024 because I think that's going to be a tremendous season. Um, let me actually let's quickly finish up on uh, P3 uh, because we didn't do the uh, standings for the teams. Riley Motorsport, the 74, uh, won both of the championship ahead of Junior 3 and the two AWA. Sean Creech Motorsport in fifth, Arve Motorsport in sixth, JDC seventh, Performance Tech eighth, and rounding up the top ten, Andretti and the second of the Junior 3 cars. 13 teams across the season. Um, we should mention we had the biggest entry share, um, if I'm not mistaken, at um, at Daytona, uh, or one of the biggest entries. But of course, that was for the watch only. That didn't count for championship points. Yeah, correct. Which is the same that can be said about LMP2. Although it was a full season effort team that won the watch in P3, that was not the case for LMP2. And mm. when we came into the race weekend, it looked like anybody could claim victory in the LMP2 category. But ultimately, it was AF Course, which is not a team that we associate no. with prototype racing in the U.S. Yeah, they've had success in the World Endurance Championship. But it was Francesco Pizzi, Fred Pordad, Jimmy Bruni, and James Allen taking the win at Daytona by a smidge ahead of somebody who turned out to be a quite good full-season contender. <laughs> Let's uh, talk about the LMP2 full-season contenders then. Winning the championship, coming second very tight in both of these championships. Coming second in MAC for uh, the full season pairing of Paul Lupchata and the Frenchman paired with Ben Keating, who seemingly could do no wrong. Alex Quinn jumped in in the PR1 Matheson Motorsport car for the Enduros. 1995 to 1958, 39 to 42 points ahead, uh, 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 sorry, behind in in the MAC. What a season and what a battle all year. I think the qualifying for P2 was some of the most um, entertaining uh, track action I saw. Um, their racing was, was superb. And after an inauspicious start for Ben Keating and Paul Loop Shatnan in LMP2, at both Daytona and Sebring. Then they got their heads together, and after that, they never finished worse than fourth. Yeah, and looking at it on paper, they only won one race. That was at Road America, second at Laguna, 
and third at Watkins Glen and Petite. So four podiums on the season, but only one finish outside of the top five, that being at Daytona. Ben Keating carried his weight with the four pole positions. The only other driver to get a pole in P2 was uh, George Kurtz, and we'll get to him in a moment. But it was the most points earned by anyone. That also made a difference at the end of the season because they got 165 points. The big thing that I found really interesting was in five races, they lost spots. They actually lost 12 positions on the year. But Ben was still the strongest bronze. Paul Luke was the third fastest pro but Alex Quinn, he, I'm sorry, he deserves to be a gold driver because he was the fastest guy in two out of the four races that he participated. And I mean fastest guy in the category. So coming into IMSA, learning new tracks, and then to blow everyone away at Daytona and Watkins Glen, those are quite intimidating tracks to go quickly at. Ben Hanley, George Kurtz for CrowdStrike by APR, Algar Pro Racing, uh, uh, Sam uh, and the rest of the crowd strike by APR team uh, did a great job. Nolan Siegel jumped in uh, with uh, Sebring, Watkins Glen, and Petila Mon, and they won the Endurance Championship. And I, and I think I'm right in saying, didn't George just nick Ben in the uh, the the gentleman driver uh, standings as well? In the Jim Truman Award. Yes, yeah. you are correct on that. Um, the wins at Watkins Glen and Petit Le Mans, second at Daytona, they really, really did well in the endurance races. No DNFs and the most trophies of the year, taking away their final end-of-season trophies too. Out of anyone from the, the championship, George with the two poles, Laguna Seca and Road America, earned the second most points. So he kept Ben honest as far as that was concerned. Um, it was really close between them, but Ben Hanley was, wow, he was mega this year. The fast lap at Road America really putting on a clinic. They had the tire issue, which ultimately stopped them from winning that race. They, they should have been on the podium of that one for sure. Um, it was a great season for this team to, to springboard into action, and I can't wait to see what they do next year, especially given that everybody's driver pairing has been, well, tossed in the dryer and turned on high. <laughs> yeah, it's all been shaking up again. Well done to Stuart and Sam Cox uh, for a very good year. Um, had a good run out at Le Mans, of course, and, uh, uh, as well and uh, won their category in the Pro-Am part of LMP2 there. Uh, next up, Mikkel Jensen and Stephen Thomas won a couple of races on the season. Third in MEC, third in the overall points. But man, 1995 the winner, 1958 second, 1942 in third. I think it's fair to say that we had a pretty decent championship going there. And that's what we like to see. And, I mean, it's only going to get better next year. But what a great year uh, for Mikkel Jensen and Stephen Thomas. What could have been yeah. if it weren't for the DNF at Petit Le Mans? Would they have finished second? Would they have finished first? It it would have been a very different-looking championship. Um, the best qualifying for Stephen was second at Petit, where he just got beaten by Ben. It really was a great knockout, dragout fight. And we're used to seeing Steven versus Ben to add George into the mix really made it even more pleasurable to, to sit back and enjoy. And Stephen Thomas, again, a lot like Anthony Mattella, how humble is this man? The win at Indy, I asked him, I was trying to get him to take some credit for it. And he kept saying, no, it's all Mickel Jensen. And Mickel was the strongest driver 
in LMP2, as far as time off pace was concerned, he was the second best for position, but he set two fastest laps over the course of the season as well. So very good season for Mickle to prove that he belongs and to, to remain in this championship. This is the only duo that is not mixing up their driver pairing going yeah. into next year. Um, as far as the championship contenders are concerned, I should say, they will be championship contenders again. Uh, Guido van der Garde is in fourth position in the championship. We now know that that will be his uh, last uh, championship. He's decided at the ripe old age of, I think he's only 38, isn't he? Correct. Um, he's decided that that will be his last season. And uh, his fourth place in the, the championship then uh, behind the TDS racing pair will be his last full season. I, I suspect that he, we might see him popping up in other places. He did a really good job for TDS with Francois Herrault, um with John Falb, um, uh, Rodrigo Salles, Josh Pearson, all in that car at various time uh, over the, the season as well. Um, a, a best of two seconds for Guido. Um, John was in the car with him then as well, I think, if I remember rightly. Uh, one was it Rodemer? Yes, yes. John Falb was the the co-driver in both of those seconds. Yeah, um, it was a disappointing season for sure for TDS Racing to be third and fourth. Um, but they they also came into this. Uh, they were learning a lot. So over the course of the season, uh, there was a lot of growth. And then Guido never really with the opportunity to work with one solid co-driver because it was supposed to be Francois RL. Let's not forget mm. before uh, the accident that wound up taking him out for the remainder of the season. So it, it's a car that uh, won't be on the grid for the upcoming season, and we do miss Guido, and we hope that he enjoyed his racing in North America. Uh, it, next up is the Aero Motorsport pairing of Dwight Merriman and Ryan DL with Christian Rasmussen for the Enduros. Uh, a single second, actually only two podiums, uh, and non-finishes to bookend the year. Uh, Again, Ryan and Dwight are better than that, and I don't think they'll be they'll be happy. It's not going to be any easier for them next year with the additional teams uh, and the depth of talent uh, for them. Um, but this year, they might just re- rue those non-finishes. They will, and it, unfortunately, it's the same story that I, I said last <laughs> year. Qualifying is their weak point. Uh, Dwight Merriman's best qualifying was fifth at Road America, a track which he and Ryan have actually won. But eighth, which was last four times, they earned something like 45 points fewer than Ben Keating, uh, who got pole four times. So it, it did turn out to be quite a big point spread when you look at it that way. Um, they, they need to work on making Dwight more comfortable in the car with qualifying. And if they can do that, then he can perhaps start a couple positions further ahead and then hand the car over to Ryan in a stronger position so that they can fight for more wins. Because this is a duo and a team that has won races before. They know they can do it. They just need to figure out how to get back to that. Uh, and our final team that were full season were high class, up and down season, to say the very least. Dennis Anderson was the, uh, sorry, Ed Jones was the best of their drivers, barely. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, I don't know, uh, I seem to be calling their name a lot. Um, it was a, a car, the number 20 car that was generally red and white. It was easy to spot. Um, and it 
it tended to, to be a car that I was mentioning more because they were having problems rather than doing well. Never finished better than fifth. Oh no, they finished. Uh, Dennis finished fourth uh, in the in one of the cars, didn't they? Towards uh, the I show a fifth at Road America is the best finish. Yes, I've got I've got him as a fourth at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Did they split cars there? They must have because Ed Jones was only seventh there. No, they would have been in the same car. Um, Dennis missed Watkins Glen this year. I've got Uh, that, yeah. That was one of their DNFs. But Ed Jones's pace, um, a guy who is very accomplished, by the way, take nothing away from Ed Jones, former IndyCar driver, uh, stood on the podium in IndyCar races, Mm. was uh, mentored for a while by Dario Franchitti. He was only just slower, uh, only just quicker, excuse me, on average, than Ben Keating. Um, Dennis Anderson was the second slowest bronze only to Dwight Merriman, and the two of them were kind of in a battle amongst themselves. So there was a lot that wasn't firing on all cylinders for this team. Now, for the upcoming season, they have partnered with MDK, a championship-winning team in the in the Porsche Carrera Cup North America. So whether that can inject some lifeblood into it and, and perhaps help them get to winning ways, uh, Anders, who's been the endurance driver for a little while now, is going to be a full season driver in a Porsche so it will be a different role for him and then Dennis Anderson is teaming up uh, for this upcoming season once again in the Orca with uh, Seth Lucas it is so another youngster coming in um, we'll we'll look to see what they can do and, and if they can improve upon the results that they've had in the past because this year it was a disappointment for high class no podiums that was a change from years past Next up, we go to the very front of the field and GTP, new for 2023. As we look back at the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship for this season just past. It's Shea Adam and me, John Hindoff, in this season end special. The WeatherTech Sports Car Championship on IMSA Radio. Well, if we're going to talk about this brand new category for 2023, which we are going to do, obviously, because we haven't done it yet, as we look back at the 2023 season, a couple of things that I want to bring up, first of all. Um, Some positive and some negative, Cher, I'll I'll be honest. Um, Let's let's take the positive. Uh, I think it was a great season. I think all of the manufacturers had their time in the sun. One thing that we didn't talk about very much, um, certainly not after Daytona, was we didn't talk about reliability very much. And and everybody was worried about an LMP2 car might win Daytona. Okay, we had some problems at Daytona, but in, in GTP, the spread of points was under 100 points on the whole season between the the four manufacturers. Um, They had their good days, they had their bad days, but generally speaking, we were talking about the racing and and not the technology. And I love this because if you look over the course of the season, DNFs, four DNFs for Porsche, Acura, and BMW each, three Mm. for Cadillac. You look at the third-place finishes, each of the manufacturers with a minimum of two, Porsche with three-thirds. Each of the manufacturers with a minimum of two second-place finishes, Acura with three. Each of the manufacturers with wins. It was one for BMW after the controversial win at the Salem six hours of the Glen. 
two wins for Cadillac and three for each Porsche and Acura. So for each of the manufacturers, more podium finishes than DNFs. I love it. Uh, Downsides. Uh, We had, and this wasn't specific to GTP, this is across the whole season, including the races that GTP weren't there. Uh, We had more... yellow flag laps, uh, full course caution laps than we've seen before from a, uh, a recent law back in 2020, uh, right in the middle of COVID, remember, of, of 190. We had 356 laps uh, behind the safety car this year. Yeah, and, and this does count across all of the races. So fewer laps run behind the safety car at, say, Road America than Lime Rock when your track is mm. uh, four miles long versus a mile and a half. But that that doesn't need to be taken into account because it all comes out in the wash. It all averages out. 356 laps of caution, that's up 25 from last year, but it's up, what, 13 from our record season in 2017? So we've had seasons, like you mentioned, 2020. Uh, 2018 was another great one where we only had 213 laps of caution. That's a lot of hours spent behind the safety car, no matter which way you string it out. So, yes, it was a lot more um, grouping the field together, perhaps giving some mm. closer racing, but bigger it fields. was a, bigger fields, mm. uh, more categories, five mm. classes once again, point. Um, different levels of drivers. And that did ultimately translate to very expensive crash damage bills. It was also a season where there was controversy about penalties. Um, now, there's always controversy about penalties, but the two big talking points of the season was one in the middle of the season at the sale and six hours of the Glen when Porsche missed out on potentially a championship-defining additional victory where they were disqualified in post-race tech for uh, a small one-millimeter uh, over uh, worn plank, it's not a plank, but you know what I mean, in the middle of the car. They pretty much knew what what caused that. There was no suggestion that they were cheating. There was no suggestion that there was even a performance enhancement. Some damage to the floor, they think, caused by uh, rubber debris that punched a hole in the floor, and then the airflow was going under or or through the floor, if you will, and and pulling the floor down at various points on the track. They were thrown out, uh, disqualified uh, from from that uh, event, which uh, cost Porsche dearly in the Manufacturer Championship. Uh, They still got a second there, but they would have had a a first, and they would have picked up more points in the, the MAC as well. But it also cost the six car. The other major talking point came sadly and very unfortunately at the start of the season this was uh, a a situation where the eventual winners of the race uh, manipulated data in a very sophisticated way to allow them to run tyre pressures that were out of specification Uh, ultimately one team member was sanctioned for it, uh, that raised a lot of eyebrows. It came out quite a long time after the end of the race, which meant that although that team, being My Shank Racing, uh, lost their points, uh, uh, the manufacturer, being HPD, who in fact did provide some of the data to prove the offence had taken place, they kept the manufacturer points, 
But more, I think, egregious from many onlookers, Shay, um, was the fact that the watchers stayed with the drivers and the win in the column stayed with the team. And given what happened at at Watkins Glen later in the season, there seemed to be a bit of a disconnect there between crime and punishment. There there was. Um, the Daytona revelation came well after the race, well after official results had been published. And yes, official results can be revised. They can be amended. That has happened in the past. The Watkins was almost immediate. Yeah. Uh, the next day was testing for Michelin, and that's when BMW actually rolled their car into victory lane and did a photo with the entire team to signify the fact that they had been awarded the victory. Um, the To put it into some slight perspective, the Shank team finished third in the full season championship, and we will get to them, but they were 22 points off of the full season championship with that 200 penalty points. So if they hadn't had the 200 penalty points, they would have won the championship by 178. To compare that, the number six, which was the Nick Tandy, Matthew Gemini, Porsche, had they not been penalized at the Glen, they would have won the full season championship by 108 points Mm. instead of finishing fifth in the full season standings. So both penalties did have large ramifications. They were handled differently. Yeah. and at the end of the day, we aren't going to remember the penalties impacting the championships. We're just going to remember where everybody finished and the fact that they didn't win the championships. The, the people who I felt more sorry for, um, in particularly in the Daytona uh, situation, was Honda Performance Development. Now yeah. it would be um, HRC. Uh, HRC, HRC North America. USA. Yeah, USA, <laughs> absolutely. Um, uh, David Salter, who is as straight up a guy as I think you'd, you'd probably want to meet. He's been right at the top in Formula One with teams like Ferrari. I think his ire, his frustration was that it was the first GTP race. Acura had worked very, very hard along with uh, HPD. They won the race. They came second in the race as well. So actually, yeah. it, it, it did matter. And, and by the way, anybody who even suggests that the other Acura was doing the same thing. Please be very careful what you say, because I've heard that suggested. And um, I've spoken to various people around HPD and Wayne Taylor Racing. And also the performance difference in those two cars was clear, uh, particularly on uh, new tyres, cold tyres and on restarts. Um, there's no suggestion, and there, more importantly, is there is no evidence that the second-place car had been manipulating the data, the tyre pressure data, in the same way as MSR did. Um, I just felt sorry for 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 um, HPD and for all the hard work that they had put in because it did take the shine off, and it wasn't a great start. What really annoys me out of all of it is the first race of the GTP era has a winner on it who didn't win the race legally. And they ha- and IMSA haven't taken that off. And that, more than anything, more than the watchers, more than anything else, that is what irks me massively. And I think, I'll be honest with you, I, I think IMSA get more things right than they get wrong. I think they got that wrong. 
and I think they should have been removed from the results. Um, whatever else had happened, they took the points away from the team, but I think they should have been removed from the results because they didn't win with a legal car. And it, it leaves a... Uh, that left a bad taste, and in fact, that's why I didn't nominate Daytona as my race of the year uh, this year because of that entirely. However, that aside, those two controversies, major controversies uh, aside, and, and by the way, Porsche took it on the chin at Watkins Glen. They said it's tiny, but we accept it. We're outside the rules. The rules have got to be applied, and I applaud them for for how they dealt with that. Let's have a look at the season as it played out then. And in terms of the uh, manufacturers and teams who were there for almost the full season, we'll start with the ninth place finishing car. Now, they weren't because they didn't do the first three races of the year. And there was a damn fine rate, uh, reason why JDC Miller Motorsports didn't do the first <laughs> three races of the year because they didn't have their car. Um, they were the first of the IMSA privateer teams to get the new Porsche 963. So they came in at... Uh, Laguna Seca, um, ran with the big dogs at the front of the field, um, never finished, I don't think they ever finished last, no. um, never got on a podium, but my goodness me, they were good. They, when they rolled out Laguna Seca, their shakedown had been round the car park of their um, engineering unit. They hadn't even taken it to a racetrack to shake it down. Um, I think Rocky had only sat in it once, uh, I think Team and Van der Helm had uh, Time and Van der Helm had uh, was the same, and they gained spots every race. I, I mean, just incredible for a car where they didn't have a full spares package even uh, for I don't think for the whole season. Best finishes of two fourths at Watkins Glen and at Mossport. What a start to their Porsche adventure, and we know now that they've got some great drivers for next year yeah they benefited by being smart uh the jdc miller motorsport crew knows very much that endurance racing is about uh, being there when others falter and they did that for particularly the watkins Glen and the, mm. the ctmp rounds they were very impressive to never finish last when you are the only car running up against the big dogs in this category that says something um, Tymon was the furthest off pace of the class. He averaged about 1.3 seconds off um, from the fastest lap. Rocky was ahead of both of the BMW drivers that we'll talk about next as far as the championship is concerned. But he himself was 1.1 seconds off the pace. So there wasn't that much difference between no. Tymon and Rocky. Um, but, and full credit to this man, world champion Jensen Button, got in the car at Petit and outperformed both of the full season drivers. So my hat is off to Jensen yep. in this case. Um, they they did exactly what they needed to, though. And JDC learned, they grew, they got better. And going into next year, it's going to be another adventure. Uh, and Jensen parlaying that performance at uh, Motil Patilamon into a full season WEC drive, of course, with Hertz team Jota in the the mighty 38. Uh, Philip Eng and Augusto Farfus, uh, a little further up in terms of the points, did the full season, three non-finishes, uh, and who was it? It was Marco Vittman, wasn't it, who joined those guys at the, at least 
anything longer than six hours because they did the six-hour race on their own, didn't they? So Marco was in for Daytona, for Sebring, and, and for Petit Le Mans. Um, it wasn't a great... Generally, we didn't know where any of the manufacturers were. I think BMW started a wee bit slower than um, the other teams. Although, when we talk about their other car, both uh, Connor and Nick got uh, second places earlier on the season and then won. But it was it was a season of building for BMW, and it seemed that if bad luck was coming along. It was coming along to the 24 car. It didn't matter if there was bad luck to be had on the track. It was going to put a target on the 24 car and hit them square in the mouth. Um, Philip Ang and Augusto Farfus are two of the best drivers in the world. There is no doubt about that. There's no reason why they should have been the only prototype duo to not get a podium this year. Uh, as far as the full season is concerned, their best finish was fourth at Long Beach. Only two finishes inside the top five. The second worst qualifying performance, they were eighth twice. Um, best qualifying was rescued by Farfus at third at Petit. Other than that, it was going to be a, a very dour uh, year. They qualified toward the back, and yet they lost positions from the racing from the start to the finish. They lost 10 positions on the season. Pace-wise, wasn't there either. Ang and Farfus were two of the lowest drivers on the totem pole this year. And like you said, it, it doesn't really make sense. No. Um, the only thing that I can attribute is they had some kind of um, poltergeist hanging out <laughs> over their garage, and it was just wreaking havoc. Uh, ahead of them and between themselves and their teammates in seventh overall and finishing third in the Michelin Endurance Cup, uh, Sebastian Bourdais and Renga van der Zander for Cadillac Racing, the 0-1 car. They were joined uh, again in the races longer than uh, anything longer than six hours by Scott Dixon, so that was Daytona Sebring, and, and PLM. Uh, as far as their season was concerned, uh, their book ended up pretty well with a third oh. at the start of the season at Daytona and a second at Road Atlanta, got the win at Laguna Seca, but again, three non-finishes in a car that I thought looked the strongest coming into the season. Certainly when I saw them doing the rollout of that that car prior to the previous, uh, sorry, just after um, the 2022 Motul Le Mans, the Cadillac for me was the pick of the bunch at that point. So if I tell you that they finished seventh in the championship, you would think that they were way off the mark. They were 60 points, six zero points off winning the championship. Mm. Thinking back on their season, the moment that jumps out to me was at Sebring. Utter devastation because they were running so mm. well. And all of a sudden, I think it was the engine that just gave up. They rolled into the pits with steam emitting from the back of the car and that was such a disappointment because I, I really want Scott Dixon to get a podium at Sebring. He's never had one before, which seems like a complete anomaly to me. Um, but the second at Petit, the third at Daytona, the win at Laguna, yeah, they had a strong year, especially when it was a brand new car. The DNFs, Sebring was outside of their control. Long Beach was a fluke. The the braking system going into turn oh, one yes, for yes. Bourdais at the start. Yeah. That that was just weird. And then the huge crash for Ranger at the end of the back straight again, contact with another car, 
Again, I feel like I've said that in the review show before. Um, those three moments changed the shape of the season, which otherwise was a decent year. Ranker was the third fastest driver as far as position was concerned. Bourdais outperformed Colin Brown, Alexander Sims, Felipe Nazar, Nick Tandy, all the BMW drivers. Both of the drivers had a fast lap. They were both quicker in the car, almost an equivalent amount of time. This is a duo that should be winning IMSA championships. Uh, in the next position up is sixth, and that is the second of the BMWs. We mentioned Conor de Philippe, Nick Yellowly, uh, Sheldon von der Linde joined them for the three of the longest races. 46 points of the championship ultimately did get a win. Got those two seconds earlier on and a couple of thirds later in the season. Ultimately, their championship position was hurt by a non-finish at Elkhart Lake. Which was their only finish uh, outside, well, at the bottom of the category. They and the sister car both DNF'd at Road America. But they were outside of the top five four times. That affected their points haul. Um, qualifying did not go well for them. Nick Yellowly had the best qualifying for the car, which was fourth at Long Beach, but they qualified eighth a couple of times. They scored fewer points than anyone else in the category. Connor was the best of the BMW drivers as far as the average was concerned, but he was still among the bottom of the class. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't a strong performance as far as speed was concerned in the car. It was a very strong performance as far as the results were, though. They had more podium finishes than anyone else in GTP. So year number one, Connor Filippi and Nick Yellowly brought home more trophies. It just wasn't that big trophy. Yeah, good point. Uh, fifth position, uh, the first of the factory Porsches that we'll talk about, Porsche Penske Racing um, with Matt Campbell, Felipe Nasa and Michael Christensen, who jumped in at the early part of the season for Daytona and Sebring. Joseph Newgarden came in for Petit Le Mans uh, and did a really good job, actually. Um, although I did hear somebody tell me that Joseph Newgarden had done more testing uh, prior to that race than their team, which was from another manufacturer, I hasten to add, had been <laughs> able to do all year. Uh, 42 points off the lead. I mean, again, small margins. Elkhart Lake was not good for them. One at Watkins uh, one, sorry, um, I'll go back there to that. It was Laguna <laughs> that wasn't good for them and won at Elkhart Lake. Let me get that the right way around. On the podium, a couple of times aside from their win, but didn't finish at Sebring. Both of the Porsches, of course, were taken out in that extraordinary late race accident uh, at Sebring, uh, which cost them uh, points on the air. I'll talk about both the Porsches together here because yeah, okay. they tied on points. So they were both 42 points off the championship, which is kind of ridiculous when you consider that it's three wins between the the two cars uh, at the end of the season. It was four wins on the track. Um, Long Beach and Indy for Jamine and Tandy, second at Laguna and third at Sebring with that DNF. Um, But they did have three DNFs for the six car, and they were outside of the top five four times. Uh, Jamine was very quick. Um, He qualified the same number of times as Nick Tandy, but he qualified second twice, whereas Nick, uh, I think, was maybe third at one point. So it it was a big difference between the two of them in qualifying. Um, But they were both 
very, very quick. Nick was the fastest Porsche driver twice. Jaminet was the fastest Porsche driver once. That's because they were going up against Matt Campbell and Felipe Nasser as well. And Matt was the best Porsche driver three times. He was also very close for average time off pace and position right up there at the top of the chart. And the fastest Porsche driver five times, including four of the last, all four of the last races. Um, Nasser was the only the best Porsche driver at Sebring. Wow. So there was a lot of mixing it up as far as the, the categories were concerned. And there was a lot of questions going into the season two with Matt Campbell and Matthew Jaminet, two guys who were known for being GT drivers. How would they fit in? Answer, they were superstars. Yeah. And they are both going to, well, Matt is not going to be full season in IMSA next year. He's stepping over to WEC. Dane Cameron is coming back over. Um, but Matt will definitely be a championship contender in WEC. Matthew Gemini, I can tell you, is not ups- is not happy with the fact that he was not the best GTP driver this year mm-hmm. by the numbers. We still have yet to talk about that guy. Um, but he sent me a note and said, how, how do you calculate this? Because I thought I did better than what you're saying I did. And I said, ah, Matthew, it's not what I'm saying. It's what the numbers say. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you were outperformed by Matt Campbell a couple of times. And he goes, I'll need to fix that for next year. So I think we're going to have a pretty riled yeah. up James. Jam. Uh, Dave Cameron did come in uh, to that team for Daytona and Sebring. It was Lawrence Vanto who came back for Petit Le Mans. Uh, into uh, Nick Tandy, Matthew Jaminier, uh, the next team uh, that you've talked about there. And they were joined, sorry, they were joined by Dean Cameron and Lawrence yes. Vanto. Uh, and it was Michael Christensen and Joseph Newgarden, as I mentioned before. Top three then. Uh, in third position, uh, this was really interesting season. I don't think, I don't think they'd non-finished, did they? No, they didn't. Tom Blomqvist and Colin Brown, um, and uh, the other person I feel badly for in the in the whole debacle from Michael Shank Racing, sorry, Maya Shank Racing, and uh, Daytona and the illegal car is Colin Brown because he gets the drive that he's deserved for a long time and he's put off because he's being so loyal to John Bennett. He gets a great drive with Tom Blomqvist. He could have won the championship this year. Um, The stats will show three wins on the season, one of which was not a legal win and they didn't get the points for. Elio Castro-Nevis jumped in with them at Daytona, Sebring and Petit. You've already mentioned the fact that they scored better than anybody else from round two onwards, um, mm-hmm. and they finished off the season with a win. Where was the other win share that they took? They took CTMP another... oh, and CTMP. Petit. Yeah, CTMP was was the other one. Um, I thought Colin and Tom gelled very well, indeed. Uh, we've seen Tom before; he's a, an interesting character, um, and Colin, I thought he just plugged straight into that. Um, as a works driver, um, he won't get that opportunity for a, a year or so again, but I'm sure there'll be something on the, the back burner. Uh, MSR want to come back. They won't come back with Acura. I think that door's closed for them. Uh, they were looking for a Porsche at one stage. That hasn't happened. Then they were looking at another manufacturer. That hasn't happened. So they're taking a sabbatical for next year. Um, put aside the Daytona issues, is a damn good season for them. And really, they could, possibly should, have won the championship if they'd got any points 
basically, if they got any points at all out of Daytona, they would have won the championship. Well, they, they walked away with 150 points from Daytona, um, but they were penalized 200 points was, was how it shook out. They wound up losing the championship by 22 points. Yeah. So they still could have won it with that penalty had they had one or two better finishes or a couple better qualifying. Uh, Tom Blancfist did the qualifying six times. He got pulls at the Daytona 24 and at CTMP, but the worst qualifying was fifth at Sebring. Uh, Colin was only allowed to call, qualify twice. So um, the, the qualifying duty really was firmly in the hands of Tom Blancfist. They scored the second most points from qualifying. So they did about all that they could. They made up places in three races. They lost places in four Tom Blomqvist, though, once again, really great season. He was the second best driver in the category for both time off pace and average position. Uh, He set the fast lap at Daytona, and he was the best driver for MSR in the car for six of the races. Colin was the strongest for three of the races, and he was the seventh best for time off pace. So they were both there or thereabouts, and, and I agree with you, Colin... Um, 2023 is a year that he will always remember. He won the Rolex again. I think that was his fourth victory. Finally getting the win at Petit and welcoming his first child into the world. Uh, It was a great year all around. And he's not going into 2024 with any different mentality than he had this year. Top class or not, he's going in there to win races, to win the championship, and to make his employer proud. And that's exactly what he'll do. We've talked about how tight it was between all of the full season teams it came down to a uh, an incident ultimately at Atlanta in the Motul Patilamon that decided the championship or did it because when you look at the number 10 Wayne Taylor Racing Andretti with Andretti Motorsport uh, Acura in second position they finished second which should have been first at Daytona then two non-finishes, then a fourth, then a non-finish, second, third, fifth, and a non-finish. Mm. Um, forget about Atlanta at the moment, and and I'm prepared to say that we they should have had more points for Daytona because when they took MSR out the points, they didn't move everybody else up. They Correct. just left them. And, and again, that's something else I think was wrong. Um, and that would have been significant for that car as well. But three non-finishes, Sebring, Long Beach, Watkins Glen, they were not kind for Philippe Albuquerque, Ricky Taylor and Louis Delatraz, who came in for all of the Enduros. Yeah, the, um, the four DNFs on the year, the three finishes outside of the top five, that's really what ultimately hurt this team more than anything else. Um, Yes, we can talk about the incident at uh, Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta as the championship defining moment, but it's not. Mm. Championships are not one race. They're not one moment. They are a season of races and a season of moments. I agree. So uh, in qualifying, they did everything they could. They scored more points than anyone else. Two poles on the year, one for Philippe at Long Beach, uh, Louis taking the pole at Petit Le Mans. Um, They... They were almost perfect in qualifying. Their worst performance actually was only fifth. Of course, that means that they lost more positions than just about anyone else as far as the race was concerned. But Philippe was the best driver in GTP as far as time off pace and average position. He had the fast lap at Road America. 
He was the fastest driver in the car four times. Ricky was fastest three times. Louie twice, which is super impressive and bodes well for Mm. their season upcoming. Um, But to look at the races that they didn't win, i.e. Daytona and CTMP or Road America, where they got on the podium, the bigger perspective would be to look at the races where they didn't feature such as Laguna Seca, yeah. because if they'd gained uh, one position there, two positions, that would have been the championship. They were Not- all at sea at Laguna Seca. The car just didn't look good. It, it, they didn't get the balance right. Y- yeah. y- I mean, Watkins Glen wasn't a yeah. great race for them either. It, it seemed as though there was a time, I don't know whether they lost their way with the setup, whether they, you know, what what went what went wrong for them. Um but they also didn't take a win on the season, which I don't think Wayne will be happy with. Mm. They would the have. Last... Hey, look, if they'd won the championship, then you know, as we've said with other championship <laughs> wins in the far, winning a race. If you take the championship, the championship's far more important. And as you've rightly said, this is a league. This is you know, a championship is a league in the same way as a soccer league or the NFL, and and you don't. You know, it's not one pitch, it's not one snap, it's not one missed field goal that loses you the championship, or at least a chance of going into the Super Bowl. You know, you've got to get there as a product of consistency over the season, and I, I, I'm not sure that they'll be happy when they look back and, and look at the the stark, the stark numbers that they put up. No, and and the other part of it too is. Yeah, it's not one moment, but there were a lot of moments mm-hmm. where they threw away good points. And yeah. that is not a WTR with Andretti mentality. That's not something that they do. Um, Sebring, the incident at the end of the race, ultimately affecting both of the Porsches as well. Yeah. That was a big moment. Long Beach going for the move into turn one. That was a huge moment. Yeah. yeah the the move at the end of Petit, which there there is quite a bit more there to be explored. And that is something that I will get into at the Roar. I promise I'm going to put mm. microphones under people's noses. Um, but it's not any one person's fault necessarily that they didn't win the championship. But it, it was a series of moments that led to so, it. So that's an interesting point. And let's develop that for a moment. Because... All of the incidents that they had that ended up in their... What happened at Sebring? Why did they not finish? Oh, oh yeah, of course, right. they didn't finish at Sebring because of the, the, the incident. Uh, They're uh, kerfuffle. Yes, indeed. So, uh, so, Sebring, Long Beach, and Road Atlanta, all non-finishes. Um, and and, and if, uh, what happened at Watkins Glen? Why did they not finish at Watkins Glen? I can't remember. No, now. neither can I. But those other three were all down to passes for position that went wrong in one way or another. And I'm not apportioning blame here in any way, shape, or form. But there, and you've got to think to you, and I wonder, and maybe this is a question to ask Wayne in the cold light of day would it have been better to take the points that were on offer on those three occasions? Because. If they'd done that in the first two occasions, they wouldn't have had them perhaps go um, wheel to wheel and side by side people at Road Atlanta. Maybe they would have, and maybe it would have ended up exactly the same. But but what I'm saying is here, they lost positions through contact, trying to improve 
their finishing order in in three of those four non-finishes. And I I just wonder if if the pressure was on a little bit too much, particularly particularly after what had happened at Daytona with the other Acura, um, and therefore they were quote unquote the only Acura in with a chance of winning the championship at that point. I think it's an interesting one to ask the questions. I don't know the answers to that, Shea, I'll be honest. But they're running two cars next year, and they haven't run two cars for quite a while. And they need to get... I think that everybody needs to sort of do a hard reboot and a reset and get themselves in. Championships sometimes are won not by the brilliant overtaking manoeuvre, but knowing when to sit behind and take the points that you've got, surely. Look at what happened this year with the 14 Lexus. Faster Sullivan only won two races on the air, Mm -hmm. but they won the championship Mm -hmm. by getting podiums, by being consistent. And ultimately, our GTP champions, John, they only won one race this year. They were only on the podium three times, but they were only outside of the top five three times as well. Mm. And that, of course, is Pete Durrani and Alexander Sims. They were joined by Jack Aiken for the Enduros. They won the Michelin Endurance uh, Championship as well. First of all, Jack Aiken did a brilliant job coming into what has been a very um, competitive environment. People and Alexander getting to know each other um, on a, a, a this season and having to try and compete for a championship. Um, I thought Jack came in and did a, a stellar job. Um, Daytona, they were fifth. Then it was the win. Then a fifth at Long Beach. Uh, Laguna, third. Watkins Glen, second. Mossport, seventh, but finished. Elkhart Lake, uh, sixth, but finished. Indy, fourth. Atlanta, we'll talk about it in a minute, but sixth. And they, they come out a handful of points ahead at the end of the day. Uh, interesting, I thought, for them. Um, and we know that team, Will and Engineering, um, down through the years, um, they have been a very, very good team. Mm. They know... Maybe they do know when to take the points that are on order uh, on offer, and maybe that was the difference this year. I, I'm I'm not sure. The difference was Sebring and the kerfuffle that we just mentioned. Yeah, because if that doesn't happen, there's four cars finishing ahead of them at Sebring. They don't <laughs> win, and then that is an yeah. 80 point swing that they yeah. don't get. Yeah. They won the championship by 21. Um, they. They were there at the right time. They did not have a DNF. Their season really coagulated in all the right ways with that Road America warm-up crash when Alexander Sims went Mm. off at 13. And every single person under the tent wearing a shirt that had anything to do with Wayland Engineering or Cadillac or even if you were just standing there and you looked (laughs) a bit bored, they would hand you a wrench and tell you to do something. That was when the team showed what they are made of and and their fiber and their grit. Um, Again, controversy with that. Should they have been allowed to start from the back of the grid? Should they have been made to do a pit lane start like uh, the 12 Lexus was made to do at uh, CTMP? Should they have lost their 35 points for qualifying, which they didn't, and then they won the championship by 21? Um, There was a lot of controversy swirling around uh, this entire season. But I digress. 
Pippo qualified the car most of the time. He got poles at Road America and Sebring. Worst qualifying of eighth, which were the last two races. They gained exactly in the middle as far as points were concerned in qualifying. They only made up one position over the course of the year. And you mentioned it, Jack Aitken. Wow, he was impressive. Um, he did a little bit of the Kenton Cook. Uh, he was the fastest driver in the car three out of the four races. Pippo was fastest five times. Alexander Sims was on fire at CTMP. He was the fastest driver in the car. And in the race, Pippo had fast lap at Laguna. Jack had fast lap at Watkins. Um, Pippo was P4 for time off pace this year, P6 for position. So not as far up as we've seen him in the past. But again, new year, new questions. Were they going for the speed flat out the whole time? Probably not. This is a team that knows that that's not what it takes to win championships. And they won another championship, but they were there when it counted. Uh, And very, very close indeed, as we've mentioned in the overall uh, championship. Also, uh, Whelan took the uh, championships for teams in both the full championship and the Endurance Cup ahead of WTR with Andretti Autosport and Myshank Racing with Curb Agageni and the two uh, accurate teams. And that meant that the manufacturers went to Cadillac over Porsche, uh, who was second in the overall third in MEC. Third was Acura and second in MEC. We've not mentioned one particular team that, that yeah. I, I think we should. Uh, they, again, were not a full season team, but when they came in, they did make a, uh, they did make a splash, uh, and that was the, the 59 Proton car, uh, with the WeatherTech sponsorship, they, uh, Harry Tinknell, absolutely brilliant. Uh, he did exactly what you would expect him to do. And um, they actually were the first privateer podium uh, in the championship, which they beat the JDC car to being able to do that, uh, despite the fact they've run fewer than half the races, that was a good yeah. season. That was a good season for those guys. It was awesome. And the fact that they gained spots in every single race, they learned, they proved it. They ran on, on multiple um, platforms running in WEC and IMSA. They took the knowledge that they gained from each and cross-pollinated. And Harry Tinknell, I mean, what can you say about the guy? He, he's just, he's encourageable. I, I love him. I can't wait to see what he does next year back in a GT car. But it truly was a pleasure to see him in a prototype once again. And particularly at a place like Petit Le Mans, mm. which uh, he had won in a prototype before. So to see them claw their way up to the podium for the first time there, that was a really cool experience. Well, and add to that, Jimmy Bruni in that car yes. for the three races that they contested. Uh, and Neil Janney as well jumping in at the end it was good to see him back I think all in all share a pretty decent championship season across all five of the classes I like the way that the championship calendar worked out it's much the same for next year although we're going to add uh, an additional Michelin endurance cup race with a six hour race 
uh, at the Brickyard at yeah. Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which will be on the Sunday. I'm actually surprised about that. I thought that would be into the evening on the Saturday. Um, I, I suspect there's a TV reason for, for that not being the case. Um, did you enjoy the season? Um, and does it put you... Uh, that was our first GTP season. Does it put you in a good place for a capacity 60-car entry for the Rolex 24 and the Raw before that? I don't think you can ever be in a good place when you're talking about 60 cars and four drivers a car. That That's a lot of people to try and keep track of, but it does put me in a very good place for a full-season potential 50-car entry. Um, the, the categories have only grown and grown. Losing LMP3, uh, I'll miss the, the stalwart of uh, race car, the wonderful rumble from the Nissan engine. Mm. But we're not losing any of the quality of team or driver because they're they're simply migrating to other platforms. GTD next year, GTD Pro, they are going to be ridiculously yeah. good because so many people have decided to come in. Um, we've talked about championship contenders from this year and people who will continue to be strong into the future. LMP2, as you mentioned, is only going to be even better than we totally. could possibly imagine. And then GTP, a second year with these cars and knowing a good baseline for all the setups. Oh, we're going to have no more learning curve. I can't wait. Uh, and additional entries from Sebring onwards, we think, for Lamborghini in the longer distance race. The good news is that we will be back with IMSA Radio, RSL, uh, given the opportunity and asked by IMSA to, to come back uh, after they had uh, had a look at some uh, some different options. Uh, it's a new look to the broadcast uh, uh, to the broadcast landscape, and we understand that. But they have asked us back. We've said yes, we'll be back. Shea will be on the ground uh, at the Raw, so we'll have our usual preview programmes. We'll cover qualifying from the Raw as well, because that's happening uh, as it did uh, this season. And then we'll have a presence at every one of the races. More from trackside from the commentary team. Uh, we're going to add some more into that thanks to our commercial partners. And therefore, you will get even more coverage than we were able to give you this year. Shea, thanks very much for all your hard work. Uh, I'm delighted uh, to say that we'll be back in the comms box together for some of the support races, including the new uh, GT Mustang uh, uh GT Mustang Championship uh, and of course you'll be strutting your stuff in the pit lane as well on behalf of all of us from IMSA Radio thank you very much for all of your support this year it's been really important and to everyone who's picked up a microphone twiddled a knob slid a fader up and down or plugged in a cable and whether that was from RSL or from our partners at NASCAR Productions we really say thank you very much indeed and we'll be back at the Raw and then at the Rolex 24 in 2024 John is then bye bye this programme is a Radio Show Limited production for more check imsaradio.com and subscribe to Imza Radio wherever you get your podcasts <laughs>